0: there, and welcome back to JW Forwardcast, the show that helps former Jehovah's Witnesses pick up the pieces, put them back together, and turn them into something awesome. So welcome back to the show. Today's guest is Michael Shemwell. He actually has two very successful and very interesting uh, XJW podcasts. The first is This JW Life, which is, um, I think, about six or seven episodes where he just chronicles his journey, both being raised as a Jehovah's Witness, his experiences waking up, and then his experience leaving the witnesses. And it's a really gripping, emotional, and very interesting uh, journey. I recommend going to This JW Life and listening to all of it if you haven't already, because it genuinely feels like you're kind of watching a drama unfold. It's very well told. He tells his story very well. And it's a very interesting journey. And it's very uplifting as well, because it has a good ending. Because um, Michael, obviously, you know, he's now an XJW, but it really does have a positive message of how you can leave the witnesses and overcome problems and triumph. So I really recommend that. The other podcast he does is Shunned. And that's a podcast where people who are shunned, possibly ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, but also from other uh, religious groups and either from some other aspects of life that aren't religious, can tell their story. Shunned is a very powerful podcast. And I think it's important that uh, we as a society, obviously former Jehovah's Witnesses are very well aware of the damage a shunning culture can do. But it's not always something that the wider community is aware of. So I think this is a great podcast that he does firstly to raise awareness of the issue also to let people tell their stories but also to start those conversations perhaps as to how we as a society support those who are being shunned so this is a fantastic interview Uh, I was really happy to have Michael on the show before we get to it I'm just going to do a quick bit of housekeeping (laughs) First of all, I just want to thank the two people who have gone to iTunes and left us a five-star rating. The last time we did this episode, we had 12, uh, 12 iTunes ratings, and now we've gone up to 14 So thank you so much to whoever you are. Um, The great thing about those ratings, the reason they help is that the more positive ratings this show gets, the further up the tables the algorithm promotes the show, which means more people are likely to find it. So I just want to say a huge thank you um, to you guys, or girls, whoever you were, who uh, did that five-star review. And also what you can do is if you want to leave us a written review on iTunes you can do that. And I will actually read it out on the show if you do it. So thank you to everyone who's already left written reviews and already left us uh, good ratings. And uh, yeah, if that's one way you'd like to help the show, that's one very quick and easy way you can do it. Pop over to iTunes, give us a five star rating. And if you can give us a written review, that would be even better. And I'll read it out on the show. I also want to give a big shout out to some new patrons uh, for the show. A huge forecast thank you to Borg Assimilate and Laughing Girl 74. Thank you so much for your support. It is massively appreciated, and it makes a huge difference. And I also want to thank out some new patrons who've uh, supported the show but need to remain anonymous. Um, I totally understand where you're coming from. Obviously, I'm Covert Fade. I'm not my real name, so I do understand the need for anonymity. And I always ask people first if I can give them a shout out. So uh, if you're waiting for a shout out and you haven't got one, it's because I've probably sent you a Patreon message asking if it's okay. And if you haven't responded, I assume that it's not. And I know there are some people who have responded and say, I'm afraid I can't go public with my name. So guys, thank you to everyone who supports me on Patreon. It makes a massive difference to me. I'm hugely grateful. And I hope you're enjoying the Patreon rewards that come with your support. And if you'd like to support the show, if you're uh, listening to the show and you're curious about what rewards you get for Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash covert fade, where you can see all the different reward tiers. starting for as little as $1 a month that gives you access to uh, Ask Me Anything episodes. For example, in the last Ask Me Anything, I answered a bunch of interesting questions, some of which were JW-related, some were not. I answered questions about um, the infighting that sometimes happens in the XJW community, and I answered some more light-hearted questions as well, such as, what would my dream car be, and what do I drive now? Uh, So if you're curious, you can hop on over there. Uh, There's uh, more rewards, so it goes all the way up to $10 uh, per month support, and at $10 per month, you get... Birthday cards from me, handwritten birthday cards, handwritten Christmas cards, uh, loads of other stuff. Uh, and we're coming up to December, by the way. So, all of my $10 patrons, uh, you will be getting your Christmas cards during December. I'm going to start shopping for those probably in November to give me time to write them because I want to write handwritten messages that are more than just Happy Christmas, Covert Fade. Oh, they're actually going to get something in there. And the reason I do the birthday and Christmas cards thing at the higher support tiers is. I know that as former Jehovah's Witnesses when it comes to these uh, events many of us haven't yet built out the social network where we get birthday and Christmas cards regularly we might only get one or two I know I don't get that many birthday and Christmas cards because I'm still building out my social network so I thought it would be nice that's one nice way to thank my patrons for support is if a certain dollar tier per month I will send you a birthday or a Christmas card Uh, so yeah, there you go so now that we've got the housekeeping done it's time to move on to the interview. A uh, huge thank you to Michael Shemwell for jumping on the show. It's a really interesting chat. We talk about everything from coping with shunning to dealing with debt. It's actually a really useful show, and he's got some great advice. We cover quite a wide variety of topics, and I think you'll enjoy it. So, without further ado, I give you Michael Shemwell. Michael Shemwell, welcome to the Forwardcast.
1: Hey, Covert. How's it going?
0: I am well, thank you. I'm very well. Um, I understand you might have allergies at your end. It's, it's allergy season in the US.
1: Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's always bad. You know, around April and May here in the... Uh, the great area of the Ohio Valley in the United States. Anyone who's from this area knows that it's pretty much the allergy capital of the states.
0: <laughs> <laughs> lots of sneezing right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of sneezing, itchy eyes, all, all that good stuff.
0: <laughs> all, the, all the fun stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, there's a number of reasons I actually wanted to get you on onto the show. and um, We've got quite an interesting discussion ahead of us, which is going to touch on, um, I think, quite a few issues that are relevant to Former Jehovah's Witnesses, especially shunning, because that's almost the that, that's the one that I think almost all XJWs have to deal with, even if they're only being soft shunned, or if they're if you know, because a lot of people manage sometimes to fade and not get completely shunned, but there's yep. still a, there's still a reduction in the amount of of contact that takes place. But we've also got a few other topics to discuss, which I think people will find really interesting to go through, including debt management and podcasts. So uh, yeah, this is going to be a good chat.
1: All right, yeah, I'm I'm ready. Let's 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 get
0: this done. Rock and roll, let's lock and load. So, yeah. first, first of all, could you just give us a quick recap of kind of your history. Now, you've already gone into this in detail in the podcast This JW Life. I I'm almost tempted to tell listeners if you haven't listened to that pause this podcast, go and listen to This JW Life because it's it's kind of your story and it's told in a really really fascinating gripping way. And then come back. But just in case they they don't do that, what's kind of your your quick summary of how you became a Jehovah's Witness and how you left?
1: Well, I was about eight years old when my parents uh, first started studying. Uh, my mom was the we happened to move next door to Jehovah's Witnesses, so. Oh, yeah bad luck through a real estate transaction. <laughs> um My mom started studying with the the sister next door. she you know within a year was ready to get baptized my dad uh he was a little standoffish at first, but he came around within another year. They got baptized, obviously there went Christmas and holidays and <laughs> an extended family you know we didn't really see the aunts and uncles anymore the grandparents quite as much you know so life changed a lot around eight nine years old somewhere in there. It's kind of hard to remember, and it's not like I can ask um mm. so uh you know it's somewhere around in there we came witnesses i was the the uh the first born the the oldest kid i was a a people pleaser and i uh you know i was i was the uh i don't wanna i almost almost say it this way the golden boy <laughs> as far as <laughs> the congregation went uh, in some ways just uh you know, a lot of people thought that I was going to go to Bethel and mm. I was going to, you know, be that, that young brother. I got baptized about 14. Uh, it seemed to be the thing that everybody was doing. It was, I won't say that my parents put a lot of pressure on me, but uh, I wasn't, I wasn't stupid. I knew what the expectations were. Yeah. And you know, I wanted to do the quote right thing. So, so that's just kind of what I did and I followed suit. I got baptized. I, jumped right into auxiliary pioneering in the summers. I did that when I graduated high school, of course, like a lot of uh, young J-dubs, we, we might have opportunities for college or something like that. Uh, I did, I, I had some scholarship offers to prestigious engineering schools and things like that, but I gave all that up so that I could go knock on doors for 90 hours a month back then. <laughs> you know, as exciting as that is. So I regular pioneered, got married when I was 22 to a sister I was introduced to from another congregation. The kind of arc there, you know, we, we were living in a different place then we were living across the river from where I originally grew up things, you know, the marriage was fine, but it just, uh, it's just, you know, you start getting responsibilities in life uh, mm. to make a living to try to keep up with all your congregational duties as a, as a young brother, there's a lot of pressure to, to to reach out and to uh, perform. You know, it's a very performance driven, driven organization. And so I, you know, I I was trying to keep up on all the things I was trying to, to be a good husband and a good brother. We had a cleaning business, of course, (laughs) that's what, (laughs) isn't that what most witnesses do? there's
0: a lot of window cleaning in the uk (laughs) uk is a lot it's mostly window cleaning it becomes yeah Uh,
1: we were more toilet scurrying how about that
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's indoors so it's less less chilly on a cold day
1: that's true i've done the window thing (laughs) um i actually do prefer to be indoors but uh um yeah so you know cleaned a lot of apartments and rental units houses things like that detailed cars um it's interesting work but you know it is just it's a lot to try to run your own business and uh you know i it's a struggle just to start it and to get clients to manage clients there's a, so much that goes into that and then there's so much going into just being a husband or just being yourself or a friend or one of Jehovah's witnesses you know all these different mm. roles that you play and i remember i just uh i was honestly just drowning in a sea of things to do, and expectations. Uh, By the time 2008 came around, I was pretty suicidal. I didn't really understand myself. Uh, Nobody else really seemed to understand me. It's not like I wanted to die, but I didn't really see the point of continuing because I just, uh, just got to the point where I couldn't I didn't feel like I I was ever going to be good enough. And that's something that, you know, I'm sure you and others, if you're in the XJW community, that's something you hear echoed a lot is that feeling of never being good enough. And uh, it just, I just ended up super depressed. The way things kind of turned around for me, I just happened to be on a a business forum online and a a guy on there said, Hey, can I send you a private message? Uh, And I said, sure. Why not? Uh, so he sent me a message, and he said that he was a retired ADHD specialist, and that in the way I was kind of bouncing around from subject to subject, he kind of saw something in me. And so he recommended that I read a book called *Driven to Distraction* by Edward Halliwell. It's kind of like the ADHD Bible. <laughs> um, it's 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 the the book that everybody gets into. And so I read that book, and I, I so did my wife. And I mean, it was just eye-opening. For the first time, I felt like I understood how my brain worked. I understood that there were things called executive function disorders. And you know, it, it is what it sounds like. It's the inability to execute what you want to do. It's getting distracted, losing focus, or mm. being focused on too many things at once so that you're, you're so disconnected. It's, it's difficult to do all the things you need to do. And uh, it explained a lot to me as far as why I couldn't keep up. But when I went to the elders and I would ask them what, actually I had responsibilities in the congregation and I, and I told the elders, I don't feel like I can keep up. So I want to give these back. And I told them that I didn't understand how everybody else kept up. And they said, well, you know, ultimately it comes down to we do what we want to do. So, it's a matter of choice and so to me that meant well i'm i must be a bad person i must not mm-hmm. really want this um even though i was so depressed and so down i was suicidal um which shows how much i wanted it and how much i cared
0: yeah that's typical, i was, that's the typical example that i think of the elders just fundamentally not understanding how to deal yeah. with a situation that's yeah know, it, yeah
1: it's it's all beyond them. It's always victim blaming. It's always blame the person that's struggling instead of helping that person. And and I don't really see you. So they were just mad because I wasn't going to do more of their bidding. <laughs> 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 so ultimately, that's what it was about. So uh, so yeah. So I I started to understand that it wasn't human life is not like. What Jehovah's Witnesses portray—they portray everything as though you could possibly control it all. It's mm-hmm. a very control-oriented and performance-oriented cult, and so I knew that that wasn't right. That he, as I started reading books on emotional abuse and narcissism and vulnerability, I started listening to podcasts. Um, there's one I like to call the Mental Illness Happy Hour, um, where people would talk about their lives. And and you could see these people who wanted to do certain things, but they were just struggling because they had mental disorders or past traumas that drove them to do things, behaviors that would be soundly condemned within the organization of Jehovah's Witnesses. But it wasn't like these people were just bad people. They were hurt people Mm. and it was coming out in other ways in their life. And once you see that we can't control everything and that we are fragile, that, we, that our behaviors are not always our own, that, there's so much, that we're so complex and there's so much guiding us and directing us in life that is subconscious or that are products of, of abuse, you just start to see that Jehovah's Witnesses have it all wrong. They don't mm-hmm. see human beings, and they don't, there's no allowance to be human. You have to fit all of these rules and follow this one prescribed path, and they don't care what your past is or what you've been through. And so it was that lack of love and lack of seeing other human beings for who and what they were that is what started to open my eyes. Um, I realized that they weren't loving. You know, they claim to be identified by love, they're not loving, they're controlling. Yeah. And control is not love. And I, and it, I had to read books <laughs> to understand that. There was a thing my wife asked for forever, and I could not give it to her. And I did not understand. And so one day I read a book, and they talked about empathy. <laughs> empathy was something I did not have. No one cared how I felt about anything. Why would I care how anyone else felt about anything? And that's the narcissism that is developed in a cult where everything is about you and everything is about following rules. That's about control. And it's not about human beings. Mm. And I finally learned that, Oh, there are concepts like perspective taking and being able to see through things through the lens of another and being able to understand other human beings. And once I did that, it just opened up a whole world to me and, and I knew that I, I couldn't remain in the toxic culture of Jehovah's Witnesses. I had to get out. I don't want to take too long, but <laughs> I know that uh, you know everybody, if they listen, they'll find out how I got out. If they listen to This JW yeah. Life, it, it was a, a complex thing. It's not like um, one event shook me and woke me up, mm. but it's a progressive thing. You know, We all have like a shelf that we put all these things on that don't make sense to us. And then one day, You know, that shelf has a weight limit and it comes crashing down and it finally came crashing down for me. I I was able to get my wife to open up about her doubts, um, tried to create a safe environment for that. And then once she came out with her doubts as well, it was just a matter of the two of us navigating how we were going to leave, what that was going to look like in the end without... Reciting the entire of this JW Life podcast, <laughs> um, in the end, um, we chose to disassociate and just leave it all behind. And yeah. uh, it was not an easy decision, but honestly, it was the right decision for us. It's the best decision we ever made, and there's a sense of freedom that comes with that, uh, where you don't have to play their games anymore. It's just done over with, and you move on. It's uh, it really it really was freeing for us. And we're, we're glad that was, uh, I guess our shuniversary, I think it's September the, the third of 2015. Um, Okay.
0: Your shuniversary. I like that. I like that phrase. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's when we were officially, um, disassociated and announced in the congregation. So, uh, so it's been what a little over three years now and, and we've got a whole new life.
0: Yeah. I find myself sometimes, accidentally when I'm talking about um, uh, kind of how long I've been in or out of the witnesses, sometimes I end up referring almost to myself. Well, I've, I, and I, I said this subconsciously a couple of times to people and I had to correct myself. And they, I sort of say, I've, you know, I've been alive for about five years. I said them a couple of people to a couple of people and they kind of blink and look at me and I say, Oh no, I mean, I left the Jehovah's witnesses five years ago. <laughs> and that's for me in many ways, it feels like yeah. I've only really been alive in the sense of really been me and really been happy to, you know, in control of my life and and being the person I want to be for about five years. And it's funny on a couple of occasions, I've said that to people that I've only been alive for about five years and, that, and then had to correct. What I mean is I, you know, I've only left the Jehovah's witnesses for about that time.
1: Yeah. And, that's a, that's, I love that. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I've been alive for X number of years because that is, you're right. That is when you start to live.
0: And one of the things I it was really interesting on the, on the podcast that you you put together and, and this, the, I mean, and again, people really go listen to that that show. It's a really good show. But one of the experiences that stuck out was one of the challenges you faced on your way out, um, was, um, that at one point you were in quite a considerable amount of debt. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring this up because. And this isn't just unique to Jehovah's Witnesses, because I think one of the problems we have worldwide is that people aren't necessarily good at managing money, and I would certainly count myself in that. And then people get into debt, and it can be be quite an extra hardship and a a difficult thing to get rid of. And I think on top of that, a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses, when they're in the religion, think, oh, this world's going to end anyway, so it doesn't matter if I rack up a bit of a credit card bill, because I'm never going to have to pay it off. And I know Witnesses who've kind of ended up in terrible financial situations because they assumed they'd never have to pay it back. So this might be quite an interesting discussion to kind of have. So could you kind of describe sort of like what your situation was in and how you managed to solve this particular problem?
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, when you grow up poor, um, which a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses do, um, it's, it's, you know, we weren't taught any kind of, Real financial acuity, we were just to you know grow up, get jobs that allowed us to just scrape by so that we could devote more time to jehovah's service so mm. um, I really had a skewed view of money. I didn't really know how to handle it uh, i when we started our cleaning business suddenly i I thought I was rich. <laughs> 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 And and I I wasn't, um, I was trying to do taxes on my own for the business. I made some mistakes. The IRS eventually caught up with those mistakes. And suddenly I found myself fairly deeply into tax debt. Um, and it was an amount of money that I didn't have. Um, I think when they originally hit me, you know, it was like 10,000 or something that I owed. Mm. I didn't have $10,000 to give them. Um, So I was constantly trying to balance, you know, Jehovah's service to Jehovah and all the other roles of life with, I was trying to start some other side business that would be maybe a little more passive that would allow me to make more money so that I could pay off this debt. Well, uh, the best laid plans (laughs) didn't (laughs) turn out for me and uh, things weren't going well. The debt kept accumulating um essentially while i thought that i was doing that we were doing well and making good money the reality was we just weren't putting aside the money we needed to for taxes and when you own your own business at least in the us uh, you're supposed to put that money back for yourself it's easier when you're an employee and your employer just takes that money out and you don't have to see it but when you, mm. when you have to take it out of every check yourself and put it in another account and things like that I was just really bad at it. I, I, um, yeah, I was just, just bad at it and that's okay. You know, we, we don't know what we don't know. Mm. Um, over time that debt accumulated, uh, once it hit around (laughs) $50,000, I realized it was pretty much about the point of, you know, what we made in a year and, uh, that we were really going to have to to do some hard times. So I, I talked to my wife and I I told her, I said, you know, Jenny, this is, this is it. Like, I don't know. There was something about that number that finally woke me up, you know, and and I wasn't, I guess there was the depression had lifted that I had been in, you know, because you have this timeline of all these other personal things Mm. going on and the depression at that point had lifted. I was starting to figure some things out about life. And I said, you know, we're, we're going to have, there's no debtors prisons, but (laughs) we're going to have to do some hard time. Cause yeah. there's no easy way out of this. So I'll just tell, you know, just some, some steps that anybody can follow. Step one is you have to budget. And that means you have to sit down. You have to go through everything you're spending uh, currently, and you have to write it all down and be brutally honest. Like this is what we have going out every month. Just go back and do an autopsy through your bank statements and realize like, <laughs> this is where we're spending our money. And that will open your eyes. And then once you set a budget, kind of based on what you're spending, see where you are. If if you don't have enough money at the end of the month, and and you know you're you're running too low on money, maybe you don't have enough. Well, then you're either going to have to cut back somewhere, or you're going to have to go make more money. I mean, it's really as simple as that. Mm-hmm. It's income versus outgo. And um, you know, I listen to uh, I don't know if he's popular in the uk at all but uh, dave ramsey is a, a big financial guru here in the united states and okay. he's the, the, the get out of debt guy um
0: is he does he have a podcast or a website people could check out or a book
1: oh he's got all kinds of stuff um dave ramsey has a pod there's a podcast i think it's just called the dave ramsey show and then he has books um <laughs> that i'm completely blanking on right now oh, that <laughs> um that Total money makeover um, okay. was, was the big one. Um, I'm, he's got others now, but you know, it's, it's just all about basically living debt free. And so what we did is we sat down, we made a budget. We said, okay, you know, the budget now is the, is the boss of us. It tells us where the money goes and we don't spend outside of this budget that we've both agreed upon uh, that we both had an input on. And so once we've set up that budget, you know, we realized that we needed to make more money. You know, we weren't really making what we thought we were. If we paid out all the things, we were just disorganized. Mm. And so, it was time to get real about getting out of debt. Um, Dave Ramsey talks about the gazelle that's getting chased by the cheetah, <laughs> and and when you're that gazelle, and you, you're you're going to be intense. You're going to just run with everything you have from that Mm -hmm. cheetah that's going to swallow you whole. So we knew that we had to go all out. Uh, There's a, there's something to be said for focus. And so we decided what we were going to do was we were going to take any work that came and we did. We just took everything that came our way. Uh, Like I said, we cleaned houses. uh, We detailed some cars. uh, We, a client needed their driveway, sealed. So, all right, we did that. (laughs) We, um, we house sat for people, for clients of ours at night when they would go out of town on vacation, we'd watch their dogs or cats for a week. And, you know, we'd make a little bit every night for doing that. Um, we just devoted our lives completely to work. And I know that's not possible in every scenario. People have kids, whatever, but the most you can do to get out of it. You just have to give that. Um, You have to go all out like the house is on fire. You're not going (laughs) to die. It won't be the end of life for you. And you can get out of it. So in 18 months, we not only had to make, it took us 18 months. We not only had to make the 55, it ended up being $55,000 to get out of debt, but we had to make above and beyond that the taxes that would be owed currently on that 55,000. So we had to make about an extra 80 grand in 18 months. And when you're working that much, one good thing is you're not spending money (laughs) because you got no time (laughs) to spend it. (laughs) You have literally no free time to go spend money. So, you know, it, it was just work and pile up all this money. And then when we hit that point, where we had the money to give to the IRS to pay them all off, we knew we didn't want to stop immediately. So we kept working for a little while and kind of slowly came off that, uh, that amount of work. But what we did in that time is we stocked up a three to six month emergency fund so that there was distance between us and debt. Mm. Um, If anything were to happen, we now have a buffer. And so that buffer gives you a lot of emotional and, and mental peace you know that you know the the, the wolf has kept at bay you're not you don't have to be scared that you know one little emergency is going to come up and just crush you financially so it's it's important to build up that uh, that war chest of sorts and that's what we did so you know we we got out of the debt we built up an emergency fund and then we started you know, slowing back down, getting some of our life back, but we always work more than we have to so that we have some savings building up. And, and now, you know, and we did this as house cleaners. So it's, so, you know, for all the people out there listening, like, you don't have to be a, um, the CEO of a company. You don't have to be wealthy. If, if we could do it, cleaning houses, you can do it too. You know, it, We weren't making huge salaries or anything. So you may not do it in 18 months. You may have different circumstances. You may have other things that come up, but I just want people to know that you can do it because it's a very, it's a scary place to live. You know, when you're living paycheck to paycheck Mm. and you don't have to live that way. Um, It can change and, and we're proof of that. And when you have that, well, what Dave Ramsey would call financial peace, when you have that in the background, uh, you make different decisions. So I don't have to take every job that comes my way. If some person wants us to clean their house and we go meet this person and let's face it, not everybody (laughs) that's going to come your way is your client. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, we can say no, we have the power to say no. And we don't have to take on clients that we don't want. And there's a lot of power in that, and uh, it's created a better business for us because now we work for the people that we want to work for, that we're comfortable working for, that pay what we need to have paid, and it just gives you a lot more power over your life. So, uh, so you can do it. Don't if you're really down and out, know that it doesn't have to be that way, um, but it will take a plan, and uh, it will take a lot of work.
0: Mm. I think that's I mean that's that's all that's very useful because it's that I think especially hearing from someone who's been through it and come out the other end, leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses and lots of other things, I've sort of hit similar issues, not not to that extent of debt, but certainly to the point where you're kind of like, Hmm, am I gonna be able to buy food this month? This is this is looking a bit painful due to my own financial idiocy. And I mean like looking out, like you say, sit down and actually work out what you're spending is something that so few. So I think so few people do, but once you do it, you realize, Oh my goodness, I am wasting. Like one of the things I, when I did this, I, I mean, I love coffee and I love walking around, you know, sipping coffee. And I, I actually added up how much, in you know, one month, how much money I'd spend just on like Starbucks, um, <laughs> was just walking past a shop. Oh, I think I'll go grab myself a coffee and you, you add it up and you think, okay, from now on you, you're making coffee at home. Because good grief, you know, you when you actually see this all laid out in front of you, and you almost have nowhere to run from it once you've actually written down how much you're spending on things, and it makes you realize, wow, I'm I'm actually wasting a lot of money.
1: And something else you have to look at is is there is an emotional component to to what you're to what people spend. Um, I was spending money and and not really managing it well. A lot of that was because of the depression. Um, yeah. I didn't have the mental ability at that point to really devote time and sitting down and, and controlling where my money was going. I was just trying to make it through the day. And mm-hmm. so you know, we have to give our, like, in other words, I, I don't want people out there to beat themselves up. You are where you are. Just accept that it, you are doing your best. It's okay. Um, but, but, you know, let's sit down and make a plan to try to get out of it and uh, don't be afraid to ask people for help. Um, don't be afraid to, to ask somebody to sit down with you and and to look over your situation because sometimes a fresh pair of eyes can help see something that maybe you don't see.
0: Absolutely, and I think well, I mean I know in a lot of countries if you if you're listening to this that there are maybe um, organizations um, in in a country that may you know exist to help people deal with their debts and often if you're if you're with a bank or you're with another. Um, perhaps a credit card company, they do have sometimes, you know, parts of that company that will sit down with you and maybe discuss repayments or strategies to help you deal with all these debts. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, one thing that was um, useful to me was eBay, because at one point I was, I had various repayments on things I was struggling with. And I worked out that I actually, if I went through some stuff I had and sold it on eBay, stuff which I liked but didn't need, Um, It actually got enough. I used that money then to get one of those repayments. It didn't wipe out the debt, but it took the monthly repayments down, so that it made a substantial difference in what I had coming in, which enabled me then to repurpose that money onto servicing other debts. So, like you say, all all these problems are solvable. It, It seems very overwhelming when you're in the middle of it, but these problems are solvable, and and it's almost like the sooner the sooner you get to grips with starting to solve them, the sooner you come out the other end.
1: Absolutely, and something you just mentioned, I've got to touch on because I totally forgot to say it. Um, There's a concept called the debt snowball, and it's kind of what you just mentioned. So when you're in debt, what you want to do is whatever extra money you have, throw that at the smallest debt. Don't worry about interest rates or anything. Just throw it at the smallest debt. Get that debt paid off. Now you'll have the extra money you were throwing at that debt plus the debt payment for that debt to roll into the next smallest debt and you just keep going smallest to largest. And, and it is like a snowball. You eventually start, you get little wins, which makes you feel good at first because you're paying off these little debts and getting them knocked out. And it gives you momentum so that you can tackle the larger debts for us. We just had one gigantic debt (laughs) that we had to break down into smaller pieces mentally and emotionally, Mm -hmm. you know, so that we could face it. But yeah, just start with those small ones and just start knocking those off, and you'll find that you have the mental and emotional energy to carry on, and to, and to keep knocking these off as they get bigger and more money. Because every time you get rid of a little debt, that's more money you can throw at the next one. So that's kind of what you had just mentioned about you know some of your repayment.
0: Yeah, So they say. You eat the elephant in tiny bites. So with your debt, yeah. don't, don't necessarily focus on the size of it. Focus on maybe like, okay, this this week I will save this much, or this month I will save this much, and it, yep. and gradually you'll you'll, as they say, you know, eat the elephant in small small doses. It's um, it actually brings me on because talking about kind of your story, and we're going to slightly segue now into um, a slightly different topic. Um, you've actually got not just one but two podcasts you have this JW life which was your chronicle of kind of your kind of life story of how you entered and left the Jehovah's Witnesses and you've also got the Shunned podcast which um, allows people who have been shunned not actually not just from the Jehovah's Witnesses but from other other walks of life other faiths other other areas and it was one of the fascinating things about me listening to your podcast was to realize how actually widespread forms of shunning are it's not just the JWs that have this 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 thing that happens to them um but you've got these two different podcasts now i know a lot of people sometimes think you know you sort of hear i'd I'd like to start a podcast but i'm not sure how to go about it um what was your process of like starting up these podcasts i mean what tips would you have for someone who wants to kind of get a podcast off the ground
1: well um i guess the first tip i would have is that don't get lost in the weeds there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, programs out there that will teach you how to start a podcast that are very involved and they want you to buy this microphone and this mixer board and all this stuff. Look, you don't have to make it complicated. Mm. I started this JW life with a $30, uh, Microsoft headset that had a little, you know, as a set of headphones with a little mic on it. Mm. Uh, That's all I use that and a laptop. Um, I use the free, software called audacity i use that to edit the audio i don't do a lot of fancy editing when i started this jw life i literally uh so so um confession time when i was on the theocratic ministry school (laughs) uh, and i had a talk to give i always had it written out word for word (laughs) (laughs) i've never been an outline guy in my life (laughs) Um, so I literally just wrote out word for word what I wanted to say in that podcast. Of course, it was a solo thing. It wasn't an interview, uh, process, but I had it all written out and I just started recording on my computer onto audacity and I recorded my audio and that was it. I didn't do a great deal with it. I might listen back through it and, uh, delete stuff some of the hemming and hawing that I might do or or, uh, the you knows and things like that. But uh, yeah, it was just, you don't have to make it complicated. Uh, You will have to record the audio and then you have to upload it online somewhere as a host. Hmm. I use, uh, I use Libsyn, L I B S Y N. So it's Libsyn.com. And it's been around forever. I submit my audio to that. I pay, Well, it depends on how many episodes you're going to produce and how much space it's going to take on there. But $10, $15 a month Mm -hmm. will host most podcasts. And I just use that. It it hosts a podcast. Um, It is not necessarily easy to go through all the process sometimes of getting your podcast on iTunes and all the places. But it can be done, and you just have to research how to get it on this place, how to get it on the next place. And, uh, yeah, you can – you can start for very little money, probably with what you have. You pro- I probably didn't even need that headset that I had. I probably could have just used the microphone built into my laptop. So just just do it. I would encourage anyone doing it to have a schedule. Uh, at first, you, you don't know what you don't know, so you're not going to know how long things take. And podcasting is work. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's not, you hear an hour podcast, what you don't hear is the eight hours that it took to make that hour podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, I sat down last night and literally wrote out all the steps in my process to create a podcast now. You know, at first, it doesn't have to be complex, but as time goes and you start building things it gets, it can get very complex and it, and it can really start taking a lot more time than, than what you thought. So just be prepared to put some work into it at a point. But at first, don't overcomplicate. Just start. Just get it out there. Start getting your voice heard and see where it goes. You know, that's, that's what it's been for me. I put myself out there on this JW Life. My goal was to you know, maybe... 500 people might, you know, I get like 500 downloads over the lifetime. I was hoping that my family that weren't witnesses would listen and understand where I was coming from for all those years. I was hoping that our clients and friends might listen and understand what we had been going through. I never imagined that. I mean, this this month uh, between this JW life the shun podcast. And then I have shun podcast, YouTube channel, which is primarily just the podcast, but I have some other video casts I do and things like that on there with all the, the views and listens, like it's going to go over a hundred thousand this month. Wow. And I just never would have thought that that many people would be touched because I just sat down very nervous in front of my laptop And started recording my story and then was willing to go where it took me. So just start and continue to follow that path. Uh, Be regular with whatever it is that you're putting out if you can. And just let people know what you're doing and see where it goes. It's all you can do. You can't control it.
0: Yeah, I think I'd I'd very much agree with you on, especially on the, just, just go, just get it out there, just start work. Cause the temptation, I think, I know I have this tendency and I think a lot of people do is I want to plan it. I want to make sure. And obviously you want to sit down and work out what you're going to do, but that sometimes the danger becomes you, you, it must be perfect. I've got to get it perfect before I do anything. And I think the reality is sometimes you just got to jump into the water. Um, and, you know, do the best you can with the first episode and, and see how it goes because that way at least you'll only really learn by doing, I think a lot of the time and the best way often with anything is to kind of like, you know, give it some thought, give it, give it a quick bit of planning and then just kind of, kind of dive in. I mean, and as you've said, it's, I think a lot of the, the other thing people, like you say, you don't need all this expensive equipment. You don't need mixers. There's one of the, one of the podcasts I listen to is the Tim Ferriss show it's one of the biggest podcasts in the world. And he just started off with a pair of, I think a little recorder and a pair of earphones. And apparently he still uses that most of the time. He just (laughs) kind of sits there and uses that. And it's because it's what's really, it's about the content of the podcast. I think people, I mean, you know, like fancy tunes and everything's nice and and mixing audio quality is nice, but ultimately what people listen to is the content. And so if people are going to engage with your content, I think they'll, they'll engage whether or not you're coming to them through a headset or through a soundproofed audio studio. It doesn't really matter to them. It's if they engage with the content. I think that's that's the key thing with any podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at blogs online. You don't have to have a beautiful website. You just have to have engaging content. There are websites that look like they're from the 1980s out there that have really <laughs> engaging content. And people, you know, they have high readership. You don't have to... <clears> you can get stuck in that. And was it... um paralysis of analysis.
0: Uh, yeah. Analysis, paralysis. Analysis, yeah. Paralysis. Exactly. Yeah.
1: You get stuck in that and, and you'll never do it. And we, as ex witnesses, a lot of us suffer from perfectionism. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, you know, my motto at a point has just been close your eyes and jump. Just, yeah. just nobody, nobody expects perfection from the jump. Just put yourself out there eventually you'll listen to that first episode and you'll be like, oh man, what was I doing? That was terrible. <laughs> and nobody cared. Everybody yeah. still listened, you know? So just do it. Yeah.
0: So like, like, like as the training shoe says, just do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
0: Cool. So coming on now, the, one of the major things I wanted to sort of chat to you about on this show is shunning because your, um, your podcast shunned, I think has been, it's it, not only is it kind of a gripping listen, it's a very emotional um, and a very gripping podcast because it's talking about something which all, almost all XJWs face, which is the shunning issue. And I was wanted to talk to you a bit more about this because obviously, you know, listening to This JW Life, you have experience of shunning. I, I think, as I've said, I'm faded. So my immediate family still talk to me, but all of my X, all of my JW friends have kind of dropped me. And that includes some people who I thought of as brothers, you know, they were kind of... Yeah. It, might as well have been a flesh and blood thing. And I think that's sometimes why I kind of like, I mean, I listen to all the shunned podcast episodes, but I don't listen to them instantly when they come out because I have to kind of sometimes work myself up to it because it has that resonance for me. And I think for a lot of XAWs may have the same thing, that these stories have a real resonance that maybe someone who isn't being shunned wouldn't have, necessarily have with the with the story. So I just thought we could talk a little bit about you know, what, how do we go past it? Cause the JW forecast is very much about how do we cope with these problems? Um, and how do we move forward? So maybe, could you, could you just clue the listeners in? I mean, what's your current situation? Uh, are, are you being shunned? Um, and who by let's start with there. Uh, what yourself and your, your wife, what's your situation with shunning?
1: So we were pre shunning shunned <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> like befo- before it was official. Um, Uh, I think it was in, in May of 2015, uh, we went to see my disfellowshipped brother uh, in New York city and visited him. Um, That was our first, you know, like active rebellion, I guess. Mm. Uh, We had been faithful shunners (laughs) for, uh, you know, like 14 years or something. I don't know. It had been a long time. And, as I began to wake up to the realities that, you know, shunning is just psychological manipulation. Um, it's, it's nothing more than that. It's not, it's, it's a very evil thing to do to another person. Mm. And so I, I reached out to him, I apologized and, uh, we reconnected. Of course he understood nobody, most people who are shunned, they're not going, if, if you reached out to them and apologized, they're going to understand because they were there once to so. Yeah. So we went to see him in May of 2015. Um, when we came back, I I was determined not to hide it. Um, I didn't, didn't want secret relationships. So we posted on Facebook that, that we had gone, you know, and just showed some pictures of us with him. I wasn't, I wasn't ashamed of him and I wasn't going to hide him anymore. Um, so we just, we just went and did all this in the open. Well, when we got back, my wife, um, She got a message from her sister that was basically, isn't uh, isn't Mike's brother disfellowshipped? And my wife said, well, yeah, he is, but we prayed about it. And we felt like, you know, at this point, he wasn't coming back and we felt okay to go talk to him. Mm. And uh, she was immediately labeled an apostate uh, over text. She was uh, then told over that same text that, uh, they couldn't deal with her anymore. She, uh, the next morning woke up and pretty much all of her Facebook friends were gone because her sister had spread the word far and wide. For myself, my family knew that I was going to see my brother. So they were preemptively kind of shunning me on the lead up to it. And then afterward, they really weren't going to have anything to do with me. They, I, I don't know if it was, real or not, but they there was a story that we couldn't come over to their house, and they had some some reason, but I don't know that it was true. Mm. Um, And then, well, of course, once we decided to disassociate, uh, we wrote, in September, we wrote goodbye letters to our families, who we really hadn't talked to in a little while anyway, and then we wrote our disassociation letters, and then, so basically, my wife, she hasn't heard from her family since May... Of 2015. um, And honestly, (laughs) her family, you know, it was literally her sister over text. There was a conversation. And since then, she's never heard one thing from anyone who was one of Jehovah's Witnesses, which would just be her immediate family. But Mm. she's never heard anything from her sisters or her sister's husbands or her parents. Um, She has four younger sisters, never heard a peep out of any of them. They never never responded to her goodbye letter. They never acknowledged her in any way. It was just a total and immediate cutting off for one time going and seeing my brother for myself. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Um, For myself, you know, my family was soft shunning me on the way up a little bit. You could tell they were pulling away. Uh, Once I, so I disassociated in September in Um, I'm terrible with dates, but I think it was like April of the next year, something like that. It was about six months later, my dad went into hospice. I was invited to go see him one last time before he died. I chose to take that opportunity. Uh, I wanted to show what real love was. I didn't want to let everything come between us, but I I will say that in in hindsight, you know, I, I went, um, my dad was totally lucid. Uh, he had chosen to go off dialysis uh, because of his heart, and so uh you know he was completely with it when, when we saw him but uh it's not It's not easy to be uh, dragged back into that life, put back into that family for forty minutes at hospice to talk to them, only to leave and realize that. Uh, you'll never see them again. And I I wasn't invited to the funeral. Um, I wasn't told when it was, I wasn't told anything about it. Um, The only thing I was contacted for after hospice was for a legal matter so that my mom could settle the estate. She needed my signature on something. So uh, yeah, so, so my dad obviously died. I didn't go to the funeral and that was it, you know? And so, so, yeah, we are completely shunned by everyone we ever knew. Uh, I did see one of my younger brothers who's still in. I was at a concert and saw him there. And they, again, I decided that I was going to be me. So I walked up to him and his wife. I, I stepped right in front of him. I said, you know, hey, how's it going? <laughs> and uh, they both looked at me. They said, Hi. I'm pretty sure I saw at least one of them mouth. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> and, then, and then they both turned blood red and they literally turned their heads away from my wife and I. Wow. And so I, I just, I laughed at them. I said, whatever, you know, if you're going to be like that, that's what you got to do. And then I just went back and enjoyed the concert. So I at least, you know, in the, in a, in a, for a moment, they had to, I think that them turning blood red was that, um, you know, everybody has uh, humanity still in yeah. them. Or maybe, maybe not everybody, but most people, <laughs> I think, still have some humanity in them. And I think that, that turning red was them realizing what they were going to have to do and how embarrassing and awful it is. And um, they did what they had to do. Uh, and they, they shunned us to our face, um, but I made them shun us to our face yeah. and made them have to see the realities of that. So, you know, whatever. Um, maybe, you know, the hope is that someday we'll see them again. I have a sister who just had twins um, in December. Maybe someday she'll hear she has a crazy apostate uncle. And, uh, they'll come out and I'll be there for them, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, I can't control any of that. So I just accept it.
0: Yeah. I think that, I think that's, that's it's quite a healthy attitude to have. It's like, we can't control what other people do. So, you know, it's, it, it's, it's up to them to behave how they want to behave. And all we can do is behave in the way we think is the best Yeah, um, and be happy with our own behavior. Uh, it's, it's kind of, I mean, the shunning thing also strikes me is once you're outside of it, because when you're a Jehovah's Witness, shunning makes sense because you, you've got to cut off the bad association and then make them come back. But when you're outside of it, you realize, well, how is emotional blackmail going to make me start believe, believing something I don't believe anymore? You know, you can't emotionally blackmail me into believing that the moon is made of cheese. Yeah. You can't emotionally blackmail me into believing that concrete blocks will, you know, will fly as, as <laughs> like birds will. You know, it's like it doesn't make any sense
1: no, in terms it, of
0: that logic at all.
1: It, it doesn't. And so you see that it's just a control mechanism. It's, yeah. just to keep, it's really about hiding the truth. It's really about keeping you away. It's not about, uh, you know, if it is about getting you back, it just kind of shows that they don't really care how you come back. You know they're, mm-hmm. they're willing to extort you for your family, essentially. It's not about you going back because you love Jehovah or anything like that, <laughs> because you miss your family. and no. uh, And you know when I, when I do these interviews, that's a lot of times the the realities, you know, people miss their families, and um, if I had to if, if I was going to give a, a word of wisdom to anyone out there, and I I know, I know that you miss your families. I know that it hurts, um, but there there's a concept called acceptance, which is the antithesis of control, which is what we were brought up with. You know, mm-hmm. and we were brought up with controlling everything. But acceptance doesn't mean that you condone a thing. It doesn't mean that that you don't wish it was different. But I found this definition that anyone who has met me <laughs> probably knows I'm going to tell them. So acceptance is letting go of the hope that it could have been any different. Okay. And when we keep wishing things were different, um, it keeps us in a, a state of kind of emotional desperation. We, we, we just so badly want things to have been different, but if you can take a step back and let go of that hope and you, and you can accept that everyone was doing the best they could with the tools they had And the experiences they had had in their past. No one was doing any of this out of malice. You know, my parents were the controlling authoritarian type. um, But it wasn't out of malice. It was born out of their experiences in life. They were doing what they thought was right. They were doing the best they could. It doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean it didn't have an impact on me. But if you go behind the actions to, and and start looking at, they're just flawed people like anybody else. Mm. And you can accept that they were doing their best. Then you can accept that even today, even though they're shunning you, even though what they're doing hurts, they're doing what they think is best. And you can only, you can only fault a person for that, to a certain extent. So you have to let them be them and you have to be you. And you know proper boundaries are that you can't control them. You can't it's their life is not yours to control. And yeah. so you have to let go. It is not easy. It is much easier said than done. But if you work toward that concept of acceptance and you work work toward letting go of the hope that it could have been any different, then you realize that you know, we're all just, we're all just actors in this play of life and some people have different roles and they're playing out those roles. That role's not for you. You've moved on, you've grown and sometimes when you grow, you have to leave people behind. It's unfortunate, might not be what you want, um, but Mm -hmm. it's just an unfortunate piece of reality. And, uh, you know, so I've, I've had to accept a more evidence-based life, even when that evidence is brutal and hurts. Mm. Um, And I don't, I I can't say that I don't have negative feelings toward my parents for things. And and that's okay. I get to have those feelings, but I, but they don't dominate my life because I temper them with the acceptance of what is. Yeah. And, um, and, and what I see a lot in the people that hurt the most are, are people who are, who are trying so desperately to, to hold on to people who are very toxic. And, and I'm sorry, and I, I don't, your parents may be lovely people on a level, but if they're Jehovah's Witnesses, they're toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you have to be a certain level of toxic to be able to accept and live in that environment. And um, you can have pity for them for that. Uh, You can you can feel compassion for them, um, but you have to let go on some level or that toxicity will impact your life. And it just depends on for you what level level of that you have to decide what level you can accept, what level you can handle if you're Mm. going to still have a relationship with people who are uh, that far into a toxic environment.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good, that's a good point you make as well, because by definition, if you're going to be one of Jehovah's witnesses, you will be obliged to react to things in a way which is not healthy and a way which is not healthy for people around you. And so, like I said, once, once we're out of that, we have to understand that um, we, we can't, it's almost like we can't expect healthy behavior from our former JW friends and family because they're constrained um, and then it's almost like, I, I don't mean this, that we shouldn't be surprised, but in a way we shouldn't be surprised if they act in a way which is unhealthy and is toxic because they're compelled to do it. Um, yeah. just as we would have been, um, when we were JWs. And I, I think what it's interesting that the, one of the, the themes you bring out there is a lot of the time it's about letting go of the past. And one of the kind of, one of the things with, with shunning is it sometimes, the temptation is to dwell on the past and sort say, oh, what could have been, what could have been different? Is there a way about that? Well, the thing with the past is that we can't change it. Mm-hmm. So dwelling on something we can't change, that we have no power to change, is actually, it's just painful for us. And I really like what you articulated in that concept of acceptance. It almost, it frees us from that past. And it frees us from dwelling on things we can't change. And instead, we start thinking about the future. Because you can change the future. Um, you know, you, you can, you can, I mean, look to, like you say, you know, debt is an example we've discussed. You can't change the fact that you got into debt, but you can change how you get out of it. And especially with our families. Okay. I mean, if we may be shunned now, but okay, so where do we go from here? Do we start building things up again? I mean, are are there, are there practical steps that you and your wife have been able to take to sort of build a new social circle? or a new group of people to to move into because I think that's one of the key things if you're being shunned it's not you're you're probably not best served by trying to necessarily get back the people who are shunning you you're probably better served by turning say okay who else is out there um that I could form a a community with
1: yeah um so what i want to say first is you have to find a balance with your past and what i mean by that is while looking forward and while you don't want to let the, the past dominate you. But mm. one of the reasons I do the shun podcast and I have people on there telling the stories of their past is not to dwell on it, but so these people can own it. Yeah. Own yeah. your story. Don't let it own you. Yeah. And so when it comes to rebuilding your life, I see a lot of people make what I feel is a grave mistake. And that is they try to leave the past in the past by acting like it didn't happen and ignoring it. Mm. And you have to process it for most of us. There's a, almost a PTSD type of quality and you, you can't just walk away and never look at it again if you do it will keep you stuck and mm. and you will wake up decades from now w- wondering why you've ha- you've struggled so much you have to you know one of the things people say after they've told their story on my podcast is that it's like it's like they were able to sit their past down and kind of start to walk away from it mm. A- and that's because they owned it they told it they put it out there They didn't hide from it. They didn't let it, if you're hiding from it, then it has power over you and it is going to have the upper hand. Hmm. And so when you, when you seek to build this new life, your story is part of you. And if you tell it to people and they don't want to talk to you about it at all, the chances are that those aren't your people. Those mm-hmm. aren't people who are supportive. Those aren't people who, who, who see you. They're not going to be great people for you in your life. But when you can be vulnerable with people and you can show them who you are and you can tell them your story. First of all, most people out there are going to find it pretty fascinating. Yeah. Second of all, they're going to want to support you because you're being vulnerable and people respect that. If they don't respect that and they see that as an opportunity to take advantage of you in some way, then run from those people because they're toxic. Yeah, and Healthy people will want to see you. They will want to understand you and they will care about you. And those are the people that, that you want in your life. And we have owned our stories. And through that and through telling people our stories, we made friends. And these friends know our past. And it's going to come up. You don't have to be awkward about it. But when you're invited to a Christmas party (laughs) or you go somewhere where you're going to be awkward because you don't know the rules and you've never done this, Mm. just own that. And just tell people, look, I know I'm kind of feeling awkward here because and then tell them some of your story, you know, Mm. and they're going to appreciate that through that, we have so many friends now that I can't keep up with them all. (laughs) (laughs) A problem that I never thought I would have in my life. (laughs) I never thought that would be the case. We've only been out for a few years. And the first year that we were out, so every year we have a theme. It's something that, that we do together as a couple. And So one year, our theme was, it was going to be the year of adventure. And so that year, my wife and I, we just, we went to concerts and we traveled and we just did things we wanted to do that we had never really gotten to do much because we were witnesses. And we just went out and had fun and experienced life some. And then the next year was the year of relationships. And that year we decided we were going to say yes to every opportunity that came our way, unless it was completely not feasible. Mm. And we went to parties where, where we knew no one, but the host. And we pushed ourselves to go in there and talk to people. And I'm telling you every time, inevitably your story is somewhere going to come up <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. Um, and if it's not okay, that means you you may still be kind of traumatized by it and that's okay too. And you have to work through that. Um, but, but get about working through that, you know, get a therapist, uh, get with a coach. You know, I know you have, um, I can't remember her name,
0: uh, Alice,
1: Alice, and you know, she's a coach. I am also a coach, you know, get with a coach, get with somebody who understands your past and who can, who can help you to process it. Uh, tell your story on a podcast, write a Mm -hmm. blog, tell it however you feel you can so that you can own it so that. You're not ashamed and afraid of your past so that you can be vulnerable with people and then you can start making those friends and those connections and, and they will love you for it. Uh, trust me, just mm. trust me on that.
0: I kind of like want to give you a standing ovation there because that kind of taking back and owning your, your past and owning your story, I think is such a powerful, powerful thing. So like you say, it means your past doesn't own you, you are in control of your past. And that's uh, the funny thing is with telling that story, I think it's, um, so much of how people sometimes react to it is how you tell it so if you if you are almost ashamed to tell it i think people react to it sometimes they take their cue from you from you whereas what i what i found quite useful when sometimes when it just comes up in conversation is i'm almost like okay i've got a really crazy story to tell you about <laughs> you know about about where i came from or i sort of say oh yeah you know i didn't celebrate my first birthday until three years ago um or four years ago or whatever and they go no eh? well, what happened? And I'm like, right, settle down. We're going to, you know, we're going to grab a drink or grab a coffee and I'm going to tell you a tale. And it, 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 like you say, most people are fascinated. Yes. Most people are like, ooh, I've never heard this before. Or maybe they have heard of Jehovah's Witnesses and they're like, they're, you get these extra questions. And sometimes people, it becomes, you know, apparently they're, they're kind of interested, but they don't want to talk about it too much. And that's fine too. But once you you kind of take control and own it, it's amazing how freeing that is. And, and and it's interesting to hear that the the people who do your show, and again, you know, there's so many different experiences and people have gone through what's interesting is like shunning is different for different people. Every person has their own experience. And when you Mm -hmm. listen to the episodes of shunned, there are obviously commonalities, but there's also different variations and how they're dealing with it and how they've been affected. But it's interesting for you to hear that afterwards, they give you that feedback, like they feel like it's, it's an empowering thing to tell that story.
1: Oh, and, totally, and to yeah. come to
0: terms with it, yeah.
1: If you look at, um, I think it's episodes. It's like uh, five through nine, or six through nine, something like that. Um, it's the story of David, and David, Ooh, yeah, uh,
0: yeah, I remember that. With
1: a, a lot of, uh, you know, he he was sexually abused, and yeah, and it was a very emotional ride. David ends up taking matters into. David felt empowered enough to go into his kingdom all that he had been involved in and to take a stand. Yeah. And David now is living. I've even got to meet David and David now is leading a totally different life. Mm. Um, He is freer. He is owning his life. um, He's, he's just a different person, you know, from, from what he said, you know, and it's just uh, I'm so proud of him for doing that and for mm-hmm. being, you know, he had to be vulnerable enough to get on this podcast and to let that stuff out. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't come into it with a lot of, uh, <clears throat> he didn't come into it with a lot of swagger. <laughs> you know, he <laughs> came into it with a lot of emotion and yeah. it was just, however you go into it, just, just do your thing. And, uh, and it has totally changed his life. and, I've had so many emails from people that, that were on the podcast early on. I'm friends with a lot of them on Facebook. I see their lives and their lives change. And it's just uh, it's just the most amazing thing. And, I'm, and it's probably the thing I'm the most proud of is just watching people go through this process and, and change their life. Uh, I know it, it's changed mine doing these podcasts and, and talking to people and to see it change theirs as well. It's just, uh, it means the world to me and uh, I know it means a lot to them.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's a wonderful note to end it on. Um, like you say that, that power of change and also it's, it, you know, people being prepared to confront things and also, you know, we, we have to be prepared to slightly get out of our comfort zone if we're going to grow as people. And mm-hmm. I think that's so many stories it's, it's, it's just so inspiring when you see people do that they 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 make themselves vulnerable experience that personal growth and and like you say to then catch up with people you know after they've done it to see how their lives have changed it's just it's very inspiring um and it's again it's fantastic and guys if you're not listening to the shun podcast you really should be it's an excellent show So, um, perhaps if we can tell us, um, thanks ever so much for coming on the show. First of all, I've been, I said to you in the pre record I've been wanting to get you on for a while. So, um, you were actually, you you were one of the first people when I was going through lists of people I could interview for the show, when I was first coming up with it, your name was on this list because, because of kind of the story you told and also of the shunned podcast. Um, but where can we find more of you? Obviously we've got this JW life. We've got the shunned podcast, but where else can we find your work online?
1: Well, those are the, you know, I've got thisjwlife.com, shunpodcast.com, shunpodcast, Uh, one word, is on Twitter, YouTube, um, Instagram, uh, which which we try to be in different places so that we we can find people. Um, I'm on Reddit as thisjwlife. Um, Yeah, that's, oh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention I have a Facebook group called Shun Podcast, and uh my goal with that group it it is it's maybe a little bit different than some. It's more about us than them, so it's about personal story it's about supporting each other personally um it is a i do heavily moderate the group um because I don't want it to be just about triggering j dub stuff mm. and I don't want it to be dominated by that stuff. I want it to be a place for people to come in uh to 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 feel at home. It, I try to keep it a positive group as much as I can. I do things on there. You know, instead of Sunday fun day on it's Monday fun day because everybody's <laughs> going to work. So on Monday I just started a thing where people are posting funny things so that, you know, they lighten the mood a little bit. On, mm-hmm. on Wednesday, I ask everybody what's good. On Saturdays and Sundays we talk about self-care. So um yeah, the Shun podcast group on Facebook, I'm in there all the time. <laughs> so uh um so yeah, follow us there or whatever the case, but it's been a pleasure for me to be on this podcast. I'm not, I'm not used to being on the other end and being the guest. I'm supposed to be the host. I have
0: <laughs> We've turned play. the tables on you.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I appreciate, and I appreciate your work as well. I, I love the forward thinking aspect of it, um, which I guess is kind of what I'm trying to do in my, in my Facebook group a little bit. And you know, that, We've all had a similar past, and it's about what comes next. Um, in the end, we weren't allowed to dream as kids and things like that. Those things were provided for us in the panda paradise we were all going to experience. <laughs> so you know, listen to this podcast and, and learn to look forward toward better things, and, and we can all have lives that, that we truly love and um, that give us what we want in life instead of just taking from us like the lives we once lived
0: cool that's a fantastic note to end it on so mike thanks so much for coming on the show
1: oh thank you my pleasure